What's the Story podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped has taken over the world and is now available in all of Europe. For our listeners in Ireland, the UK and all across Europe, you can now purchase Manscaped products. So get yourself the right tools for your family jewels. We're all friends here. Let's, let's be a little bit honest with each other. We've all tried to give ourselves a little tidy up, probably using the scissors and going delicately around the edges. Some of us might have tried a different razor that nicked us or scratched us. Some of us might have even ventured into the world of hair removal cream, which probably left your tallywhacker on fire, irritation and itch, and you praying you never have to go through that again. And ladies, I'm not just talking to the lads here. If you're sick of your fella stuff, looking like an angry Rastafarian, then Manscaped is what you need. The Lawnmower 3.0 electric trimmer is the greatest male grooming trimmer on the planet. If you haven't tried it yet, you're missing out. This third generation trimmer is waterproof. It features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce those grooming accidents we talked about and the battery will last up to 90 minutes. The good news is the Lawnmower 3.0 is included in Manscaped's Perfect Package 3.0 kit. That kit also includes Crop Preserver, otherwise known as their ball deodorant. It also comes with Crop Reviver, Manscaped's own ball toner. Use these on your boys below the waist and you're going to feel refreshed and ready for anything. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with their Shed Travel Bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs to complement not only their Perfect Package, but your package too. Head on over to manscaped.com and put in the code WTSPOD to get 20% off your order and free shipping. Yeah, that's right, 20% off your order and free shipping when you use the code WTSPOD at manscaped.com. Head on over, check it out. Your balls will thank you. Hello everybody and welcome to WTS219. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. Right, how are you, Graham Merrigan? I'm uh, I'm a bit hairless this week, Danny, but I'm good. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling frictionless. <laughs> I'm feeling uh, anti-shaftness. And ch- chafing. You're, you're not chafing. Ch- ch- Jesus Christ. I don't Jesus get worried, Christ. Man. Call these act. Yeah, good man. <laughs> Mero, let's just go straight into it. Who has joined us this week? Um, we wanted to talk about the US election. And who better to get on but one of our best mates in the whole world based in Stockholm, Sweden, Philip O'Connor. Ah, good evening. Philip, I, how are you? I, I'm getting over that intro. It's going to take a while, Dan. So, you know, talk among yourselves, you know. But that's, <laughs> what you were alluding to there is probably, it's not my wheelhouse, you know. Mm. I, I are, you talk, think, are you thinking of my town halls now, Phil? I, I, I can't think of anything else, Mero, you know. And this hasn't <laughs> happened probably, before. I don't know how probably, to 
I mean, it probably would have helped if I wasn't doing lunges at the camera. You know what I mean? Crotch <laughs> high as, as I was doing that intro. Put your wife runs back on, Dan. You know, like, I mean, I then, mean, you know, at least that won't be distracting me. No, but I'm... Manscaped boyfriends. Yeah, are they yeah. from Manscaped as well, are they? Oh, God. They are, yeah. Branded. Yeah. It's a branded hellscape around here, you know? Well, tell you, that's the way it has to be. That's the, the, the way forward in this, in this thing. No, but like, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing that you've just got... Um, that great sponsorship from Manscaped and I hope that plenty of people do sign up to it and agenda up getting a few quid for this wonderful work that you're doing and also that you can help out a business that's trying to get off the ground um, free ball hair trimming in the post to Phil O'Connor ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to use it at the top of my head because I say that'll be the greater challenge for it at this stage well, you know? with, with their patented titanium blade Phil you can use it anywhere you want <laughs> yeah go down with it oh, it's, uh, look at I'm, I'm not going to speculate <laughs> that would be dead. you'll all have hair free scrotums um, <laughs> Fuck, that, should be, that should be the name of a podcast in itself. Hair free If the people at Manscaped would like to get in touch with the three of us, we can start that next week. It's very easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Philip, the US elections uh, have brought on a bit of a controversy. But firstly, like, I was from last Wednesday until probably Sunday. Me and Danny were texting each other non-stop. We took Wednesday, Thursday off work. Well, he was off for the whole week. Um, and we were non-stop watching CNN. Um, what do you think the fascination is with... I say Irish people, but I don't know if we had this fascination before. I'm purely basing it on the Twitter demographic um, and the live tweeting. And morning, noon and night, it, there was a very high contingent of Irish people Irish journalists yourself, you know, tweeting and talking about it. What do you, what, what's the fascination? Is it because that we all want to Trump out? Uh, I think it is. It, like, there's a load of things that play into that, Graham, because like, this is was probably one of the most important elections in history. And that's not me sort of, you know, going for the hyperbole straight away. We don't need that. What's the story has its listeners. We don't need to go blowing smoke up people's hoop, right? They're well-shaved hoop at this point. But it's one of those things that's like, it, it's so fascinating to be at this point in time. If you remember 9-11, if you remember, you know, various other things that have happened, I think at the sinking of the Estonia ferry here in Sweden, um, the tsunami that happened in Asia back at the start this century, right? There's certain things that you'll always remember. Our parents and our grandparents remember the uh, the murder of John F. Kennedy, the death of Martin Luther, Luther King, the 7th of July attacks in London, the same thing that happened in Norway. Certain things you just know, and the more you know, the more you want to know. So this yeah. is one of those periods in history where this election summed up so much of what's going on around the world, right? About Irish politics and British politics and Brexit and Hungary and Orban and Brazil and Bolsonaro and the US. And so I think that was really like a lightning rod so that all of a sudden we all found ourselves we're all interested in different things you know myself and Danny are interested in bows whereas you don't like football at all but all of a sudden we had champions I got it in there I got it in there so champions of Ireland We'll deal, we'll deal with that. That fake news very soon, right? But we all of a sudden we had something to gather around. And the thing about American politics is that it's theatre, right? And it always has been. And that's not, you know, a, sort of a reference to the fact that Abraham Lincoln was shot dead in the theatre. It's just there's so much around it. It's so... It lends itself to immersing yourself in it, right? The system, the pageantry. Even if I look at how I cover elections as a journalist, right? We know, and we joke about it off air. Like, you know, when we go, like, if there's an election here in Sweden, we know exactly what we're doing, right? The first edit, you want to have your first edit done. If you don't do it live, five, ten minutes after the polls are open, talking to voters, oh, there's a steady stream of people here. I've done it for referendums in Ireland. I've done it in Sweden, Denmark, Norway. I've done it all over. I've done it in America, right? And, like, that carries you through then when you're telling this 
story, but America in particular, it's so huge, it's so vast, and it's so universal because they have such an effect on our culture. It doesn't matter if you're in, you know, Dagestan or if you're in Dundrum or where you are, that is going to affect you in some way. Now, it's going to affect people in Detroit an awful lot more, but I do think that we all have a vested interest in what happens and in how it happens. And that's why we're prepared to take days off work and destroy our sleep patterns sitting in front of the television and wonder what the fuck the good people of Algany County are up to in Pennsylvania. Mad, isn't it? Phil, did you stay up as well? I did for the most part, right? So one of the things that was weird, lads, was that I noticed very at the back of the very beginning of the pandemic, you know, this sort of, uh, we were all sort of living in fear, right? We were all dealing with a situation that we weren't dealing with before. And my sleep patterns were very disturbed by that. So I could wake up, you know, an hour after I went to sleep and bing, right? And that only ever, ever happens to be, usually if I'm working on something like serious breaking news, like a terrorist attack, I'll go into that mode where I sleep for as long as I need to sleep and then I'm done. And the same thing happened with this election. And it's not something I do consciously and it's not something I control. And for the most fucking part it's not even something i want to do because it happened to me again last night you know yeah. did you get into this thing we go being okay i've slept enough now what, what do i need to be looking at you know so i did um i watched the whole thing because as you know i wanted to go to the u.s and i want to do 50 podcasts for 50 states in 50 days for this very reason i didn't want any of this to be a surprise to us and still despite the amount of talk and the amount of reporting and everything it still has come as a surprise to people not just what happened in the election but in what's happening after the election and in a way i still feel that if i had had the chance to do that we wouldn't be surprised by these things because if you go back over some of the things that i've been saying and predicting and pointing out to people uh, about this election all of those things are gradually coming true now i don't want to see here like cassandra go i fucking told you so right that's not it but all the possibilities that i saw are being realized as we go along and it's all to do with trump and it's to do with biden it's to do with how the whole thing was run but we could i'd say we'll probably be sitting here for another four years discussing you know the outcome of this election and the most important part of it is the why Right. How did we get to this point? And why did what has happened and what is happening? Why did that happen? So, I, yeah, I have a few different kind of trains of thought on this. And a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, I, I, I said I was convinced Biden would win. I, I didn't think Trump would have the the kind of the moderates, the people who are sitting on the fence. I didn't think he'd have them this time around. Now, as it turns out, look, the, the, the way the voting went this time around, was insane record numbers trump got above 70 million which is fucking bonkers in itself biden 74 odd i think was the last count that i seen but i also said i think he'd passed i think biden would pass 300 uh, electoral college votes and i thought he could get as high as 330 now the way it looks we've lost graham for a minute there but he'll come back to us the, the way it looked there, he's back already. The prodigal son. Um, yeah. The, the, the way it looks like it's going to pan out is it's probably going to be Biden 306, Trump uh, 214. If if Biden had took Florida, which I had an inkling he might be able to at the time, then he probably would have hit that 330 and it would have been an absolute fucking blowout. But we're still in this weird situation where if he comes away with 304 electoral college votes, it's still a fucking strong performance. It's still very convincing. And yet... And yet, there's still that seed of doubt in people's minds. There's still that kind of like, fucking hell, no, he, he scraped through this. He's, mm. Is that perception right, Phil? 
It is a correct perception, right? But it's basically like any game you play has rules, right? So the fact that Biden could get 5 million more votes than Trump, and this can still be a close election, that tells you how the system runs, right? If you go back to when Abraham Lincoln was shot dead in that theater, and you go back to the American Civil War, what happened there, and it's actually been mirrored here today, lads, over 150 years later, they're very similar forces at play, right? So the whole idea of the Electoral College is so that, you know, the big states won't... The big populous states won't tell the little states what to do, right? That's fucking nonsense. And it comes out of the Civil War. So basically, the big slave owners uh, in the South, in what they used to call the Dixie Democrats, south of the Mason-Dixon line, uh, they would have had huge amounts of people living there, but they were all slaves. There was no free men, so they didn't have votes. So even though they had all these people, they had no political power. And they didn't want that to change, even though they lost the Civil War. And the Electoral College is essentially you know, a receipt for that. So, okay, lads, we'll give you a little bit more power when it comes to choosing a president if you just fucking, we'll put a stop to this war now and that's it. And this is the relic of it. This is why it's so hard. Now, you add that to gerrymandering, you add that to voter suppression, you add that to saying to people in Florida, okay, you have to pay all your outstanding fines and, and that kind of thing before you can vote if you've been a criminal, if you committed a felony or a misdemeanor in the past, right? All of these things are used to suppress the vote. And it's basically, I think it's been said, and I can't remember who it was that said it, that some Republicans said that without the Electoral uh, College, they would never have a president again. So if you go back to the last seven, eight elections, Democrats have always won the popular vote with maybe one or two exceptions. So you should never actually have a Republican president because the majority of people in the country barely at times but you know usually by about four three four five million they know that it's not in, it's not in their interest yeah so, so, so they're, they're coming across you but yeah. just explain to listeners what is the electrical the electrical co- the electrical, the electrical college, college is where you go when you're an apprentice and you want to be an electrician, but we won't take that now, Mero. Instead, we'll talk about the electoral college, college right? Electoral college. Yeah. So the electoral college is basically, there's, I think there's 500, is it 568 votes altogether? Basically, what you're looking for is 270 of them, right? So they're distributed across the states. So you will have certain states where you will have two, three, four votes. Like, I can't remember how many Wyoming has, but it only has 600,000 people, which is probably the, the population yeah. of County Cork. So yeah, they the, minim- have, the minimum they can have is three. Is three. So the, the lowest the state you can have is three. Yeah. And then you'll have, you know, I think Pennsylvania has 20 and they'd have an awful lot more people. But the idea is then that these things would balance out so that, you know, on the coast in California, California has 40 million people, right? That's bigger than most European countries or many European countries. The same thing on the East Coast in New York, the same thing in places like Florida. So they have a lot of votes, but not as many. You know, if you were to sort of count the number of electoral college votes per head of population, they wouldn't have as many as, you know, places like Wyoming, Maine, New Hampshire, Delaware, tiny states. Certain states decide that, okay, uh, basically it's a winner-takes-all vibe. So if you win the state of Pennsylvania, if you get the most of the popular vote in the state of Pennsylvania, you get all their votes. Other states, I think Maine might be one of them, they decide, okay, if you win a certain district, well, then you get that district's vote. But basically the magic number is 270. If you can get to 270, which uh, Joe Biden has now, according to pretty much everybody, then all bets are off, you've won, that's it. So the Electoral College then, they're essentially people who are, uh, they're selected and they, they go forward and they say, okay, our state has voted for this president. And that happens to, I think it's I think it's the 13th of December that's going to happen this year. So they all put their electoral college votes in there for Joe Biden or for Donald Trump as their state has mandated. And that'll be open then, I think, on the 6th of January by the sitting vice president, who is Mike Pence. And he'll say, OK, the result of the election is this. OK, so technically it's correct that there is actually no election result yet. We just know who's going to win. Right. But none of that will be official until the first week of January. And it's all 
this is why like the count is so important and the things have to be done in time for the electoral college to be able to cast their votes correctly and all this archaic legislation around you know if the people vote if say the people of pennsylvania have voted for joe biden but can the electoral college go and still cast their vote for trump you know and there's all these sort of legal issues that have to be ironed out if somebody goes rogue and says no no i don't believe that i believe there was voter fraud or whatever you know can they go ahead and do this and that's the sort of the situation that we're cast into now right so if we back up the truck there to what danny was saying earlier on danny was saying okay i thought he would win 300 306 320 right and danny i would pose this question to you does it actually matter how many votes he wins and i'm going to answer that question for you and i'm going to say no it doesn't right thanks phil yeah, I'll just say. <laughs> so the the point that I have been making the whole time is that Donald Trump is not like other boys, right? He doesn't play by the same rules, right? So me and Mero are playing basketball, and I know he's in a wheelchair, and we say, okay, we're going to agree on these rules. This is how we're going to play. I'm not going to block your shots, but you're not allowed to run over me, right? And we have an agreed set of rules, and we're going to play the game and make the best. Donald Trump doesn't play like other kids, like nice boys like me and Merrill. He looks up what he can possibly do, and then he just goes in. I think the usual analogy is like, you know, playing chess with a pigeon, you know, because they'll just knock all over the pieces, shit all over the board, and you end up feeling bad because of it, right? He's the political equivalent of that, right? So the two things that I was looking for... <laughs> chess with the, a pigeon. That's basically what it's like. I'll tell you, go out, you'll find one in the bracket. There's loads of pigeons in the bracket. Test it. But the, the point I was making, lads, was, and this is long before the election... I said that this election wouldn't be decided in uh, the voting booths and it wouldn't be decided in the count centres. It would be divided, decided in the courts, right? Now, we haven't had the drama that I was expecting, but that is actually where it's being decided now because they're taking these things there. And the other thing we need to remember is Trump doesn't need a victory in a state court, right? All he needs is a verdict that he can appeal to the Supreme Court because he has spent the last four years stacking the Supreme Court with people who agree with him. Not only do they agree with him, they fucking owe him. Right. So we're Irish. We do things in this mafia thing. Like if I do Merrow a favor, I would expect at some point that he's going to look after me. He'll never do anything for me, that young fella. But you get the point, right? That, you know, he has a sort of a, uh, he owes me a favor, right? Brett Kavanaugh owes a favor. The last woman appointed now, her name slips my mind at the moment. Yeah. So she owes Trump a favor. So their interpretations are basically, I would say, and Kavanaugh has had, he wrote one particular judgment there, which was extremely odd about just this situation. And essentially what he was saying was, this is how I'll interpret things if Trump gets something before the Supreme Court, right? And w- if we go back to 2000, when Al Gore and uh, George W. Bush, um, w- when they were going on in Florida, right? Essentially, Gore says 500 odd votes. And he said, look, this is not good for democracy. So I'm walking away. Now, what Trump is looking for is 10, 15, up to 40,000 votes in places like George. Georgia, but it's not that. He knows it's not going to get reversed there. All he needs is a judgment that he can say, okay, I want to bring this to the Supreme Court. Can we say that everything postmarked or everything counted after this particular date in Pennsylvania goes out the window? Because so many states, again, as he's been saying, he was leading on the night, right? When they counted the physical ballots that were cast on the Tuesday, November 3rd, he was leading so many of those races. And if he can get a precedent that cancels them, then all bets are off, right? And the last thing that I would say on that front, so again, he's playing against it. Like his rule book, he's just torn up the rule book and he's working off these things. He has replaced the Secretary of Defense. He's replaced an awful lot of the civilian appointees in the Pentagon, right? So these are essentially, this is basically, this is circling the wagons here, right? You're getting your mates around you and then you're going to throw the punch and go hold me back and they're going to be the ones who have to defend you then, right? It's the equivalent of Conor McGregor getting all his mates onto a jet to go throw a dolly through a bus window. Pretty, pretty much, right? That's that's not as far off as, as one might think, you know? So the last thing, the last option that he has is martial law, right? Now, you'll say, could he possibly declare martial law? I go, that's not even the question that we should be asking here because we know how fucking bananas the bloke is, right? That Literally, if you ever thought that, oh no, he wouldn't do that, stop right there, right? You need to accept that he will do absolutely 
anything that comes into his mind because again he's not like other boys he doesn't play with the same rules and he he doesn't play fair right so he's going to go and do these things and I don't you know I don't care much from a for, as a politician I don't know what he's like as a husband or a father or a, I don't care much for, for a businessman or whatever but when you look at this and when you see somebody who's that consumed by their own self-interest then you have to accept that they will do absolutely anything because you know what was that line for Batman S- some men just want to watch the world burn and now that he has been rejected by the American people that his politics has been rejected he is not like you know I said it before in recent weeks you know fascism doesn't go quietly into the night lads it doesn't just accept its beating it doesn't say you know oh I have been beaten in the marketplace of ideas and the people want to go into the- that's not what they fucking do right they need to be ground into the dirt for the most part and it is going to end up I would say, you know, he's. it's really difficult to say how it's going to end up, but I would say he will sooner go towards the more extreme end of what we expect than to just, you know, run up the white flag and leave, right? I thought for a little while there that he might, you know, as soon as Biden, as the election was called for Biden, he might go, fuck you guys, I'm out of here, and leave Pence to run the show for the last two months. I thought that was a possibility, and then I thought better of it, because that's just not who he is, right? His whole ego, his whole brand, his whole persona is built up around these things. And again, it's like Nero watching, you know, fiddling while while Rome burned, you know. And in one way, I feel... I, I can't feel any sympathy or empathy for him because I know he wouldn't feel it for you or me or anybody else there. And when you see what he's done, I stood outside uh, the airport in Los Angeles uh, just after he was elected. And one of the first things he did, I think it was the 27th of January, he brought in the Muslim ban in the States. And already then he had started to make things difficult, more difficult for the dreamers, more difficult for immigrants, more difficult for African-Americans. And I remember filming union workers staging a protest outside the airport. People had gone on a lightning strike and they were just out there banging bin lids off the ground, like being in Belfast in the 70s and out no ban no wall and that was it that was the start and they've had four years of doing this that man has ground them down for four years and their communities he's put he's actually put troops on the streets put the national guard into places like portland he has been at war with a section of his own people so i don't think i like it would take an awful lot to convince me that he wouldn't do that on a wider scale and then you know an awful lot of people could we see a scenario where the fucking the marines raid the white house and take him out uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I'd say if it does come down Seriously? to me, I, well, I mean, you know, what's to say it wouldn't, Graham? You know, all bets are off with this guy. He has done things that we never would have expected to see before, right? If when he was asked to condemn white supremacy, he wouldn't. He said, stand back and stand by, you know? So he's, like, he issued a call to arms in a TV debate to white supremacists, right? Like I say, all bets are off. He could, They might have to drag him kicking and screaming out of the place. But the other thing is that there's an awful lot of people in the military, and in particular in law enforcement, at the various levels of law enforcement, who actually agree with him. People who feel let down, people who feel targeted by Black Lives Matter, right? Being a cop in America is a fucking terrible job for the most part. And it doesn't matter if you're a state trooper or if you work for the NYPD. It's a fucking terrible job. It's a dangerous job. People have guns all over the place. I understand why they live in fear of their life. Every time they stop somebody for a broken taillight, I'm not excusing what they do in terms of they do target black people disproportionately. Uh, More black people die at their hands than, than anybody else. There's so much wrong with the system, right? But what's to stop those people from going, you know what, this guy's right. If I let in these socialists, these communists, and they take over, and they're talking about defunding the police, and they're going to take money away from the military, our, our country's going to collapse, you know? And all you need, you, you just need to be able to believe that and say, okay, this is for the best. That's how these things happen, lads. That's what the appeal of authority, authoritarianism actually is, right? And again, if you go back, I often talk to you lads about when I visited Auschwitz and when I listened to the people talking about what happened, and what happened not just before, not just how the Nazis came to power, but what happened afterwards. And here's a fascinating 
right thing, right? I've talked before about a reckoning in the American with the American administration, right? Every, basically, everybody who worked in that White House to me should never be seen in public life again, right? So many people have parked so many things. They've allowed so much grifting to go on. The fact that Trump himself didn't put everything into a trust and have it run as a blind trust for, for you know, that alone, he's producing stuff. He has, you know, diplomats staying in his hotels in Washington saying, oh, you know, if you stay here, you might get an audience with Trump, Marla, all these kinds of things, right? Um, in the village of Oswiecim, which is the Polish name for Auschwitz, right? There's a little village beside there. And before the war, they had a synagogue there. I think they had a population of around about eight to 10,000 Jews. Now, don't quote me on that, but it's around about eight to 10,000 Jews lived in that town in the 1930s. And then after the Holocaust, some of them went home. Not all of them, but some of them went home. Many moved to Israel. They moved to different parts because they knew what had gone on, you know, a mile down the road. And by the 1960s, there was none of them left, right? There was none of them left because... The forces or the attitudes or the anti-Semitism that have brought about the Holocaust never went away, right? Despite everything that we know happened there, there was no repentance. There was no reckoning. There was no change, right? Most of the men, the lion's share of the men, and it was mostly men who worked at Auschwitz and who sent people to their deaths. When the war was over, they went home as if nothing ever happened. Right. So nobody was ever held to account for these things. Last. So this idea that we have this Hollywood notion that, you know, oh, the good guy wins at the end and the bad guys pay and, you know, they go to jail and they lose. Everything. No, 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 that's the exact opposite is what happens. Right. So we have a situation where Jared Kushner, Donald Trump, Stephen Miller, Steve Bannon, all these guys are still living like high on the hog and they'll go on. Some of them will get jobs at Fox News or they'll become ambassadors or they'll, you know, they'll find some job. You know, I usually said most of Fine Gael ends up being a lobbyist for somebody in Ireland, right? So all of these things, there's no payoff. There's no, like, very few people actually live. I mean, if you look at John Hume, is a great example of it. He never really lived to enjoy the political fruits of the peace. He was moved aside once the Good Friday Agreement was signed. So, you know, he's one of the few people who have actually paid the consequences of the good work that he did. Whereas the bad work that gets done, that seems to be rewarded. So to get back to where we started, Danny, I would say that there's a good chance that there's an awful lot. Let's not forget, over 70 million people voted. They saw what Trump did in the last four years and they went, that's fucking fine by me. I'll have another four years of that, right? Over 70 million have voted for that. And when you see that and you think of how many of those people own guns, how many of them have been in the military and an awful lot more Americans now than 30 years ago have been in the military thanks to Afghanistan and Iraq, and you think of the people who work in the police forces, then you got to think that, look, at this is not coming out of nowhere. Right? This is, all you need is the support. You don't even need the support. You need the support of about 10, or 10 to 12% of people so that you can run an authoritarian regime. right? But if you have almost 50% of the people, and not only that, that 70 million people is 8 million more than when he started four years ago. Right. So if I were you, and I remember, I think you actually said to me before you pressed record, you go, oh, let's have a little bit of a lighthearted look at it. So uh, that's my yeah. take. <laughs> <laughs> so Phil, is, is the genie I... out of the bottle now? Is that it? Like, so like... Like, I, I tend to agree with, with everything you're saying. I mean, I look at it, and I mean, like, you, even when we were watching that at the weekend, on Saturday, uh, gone, when, when Biden was projected or declared or whatever way we want to put it, like, we've seen scenes on the streets of America that were akin to the Arab Spring a decade ago. Like, it was as if they had been liberated from a, a, a despot dictator. Let me stop you there. It wasn't as if they had been. They had 
as far as they were concerned, been liberated from a despot dictator, right? On Thursday night, I spoke, I spoke to Stephanie Brumsey and Anya O'Neill. Anya's a brilliant TV producer from Ireland, just moved to LA. Stephanie is an African-American friend of mine who worked for the same news agency as I worked for back four years ago. She was in Florida. I was in New York when Trump was winning, right? Now, I went home. After Conor McGregor fought the following weekend, I went home. And Stephanie went to cover Trump's inauguration, right? And she said overnight it changed, right? If you're an African-American woman and a journalist, it changed. And they were put there in the pen and she was abused left, right and center. People using the N-word, people using, calling her a bitch. Uh, one man was eventually removed by security. Now, an awful lot of people use those words towards her. One man was eventually removed because he went too far. He said he was going to kill her and rape the body, right? This is a journalist Jesus. standing there. Now, an African-American woman, right? And the thing, like, Stephanie is one of my fucking heroes and she's about 20 years younger than me and I love her to bits, lads, right? But her parents died in the crack epidemic in New York in the 1980s, right? She was adopted. She was a very, very, and still is an extremely smart woman. She's one of the smartest people I know, one of the best journalists I know. She was lucky enough to be smart and to be recognized and to be able to get through the school system with adoptive parents and to go to college. And now she works for CNBC in New York. Absolutely brilliant producer, journalist, the whole lot. And these people are abusing her and it started down and it hasn't stopped. Everything changed when this happened, right? So why wouldn't she be out in the street when it looks like this is over? Now, as it was, she was working nice at CNBC, so she was sitting at home in her pajamas talking to me, right? But people like her, I've walked through Compton in South Central Los Angeles in January, and I saw the stickers on the lampposts, and you know these uh, the electrical stations there, the what you, I can't uh, the terminal stations are where all the elect- electricity for the street comes in basically, and they have stickers there saying to p- Hispanic people that the black community has their back that if they see Hispanic people in trouble with ICE, they're going to help them out. They'll chase these fuckers off the streets. They'll allow no no, no deportations because community is everything, right? And that's the America that people have had to live in, especially people of colour, especially minorities have had to live in. Think about how transgender people have had that. I'd imagine that the gays and the trans, transgender people made famous in Lou Reed songs and Andy Warhol's art. Can you imagine the celebrations in New York that would have been had on Saturday night just because they've thrown off this yoke of darkness? that they've lived under for the last four years. And it is, like, in a sense, it's a dictatorship because, like, you know, he banned, you know, I can't, there's certain cases I know about that I can't go into here because of the fact that they haven't been decided in the American courts yet. And I know, you know, now that you're in with Manscaped, an awful lot of people in America are going to be listening because, hey, everybody needs to groom. But there are certain things coming before the immigration courts there that I know about, lads, from places like Iran, right, uh, because of the Muslim ban. Well, Phil, Families- Phil, just, just, just to cut across you, apologies, but you know what I mean? You brought up ICE there. Yeah. What- like what? What is the main difference uh, under um, Trump's administration than Obama's? Because didn't Obama create ICE? Yeah, well, Obama created, and again, like the thing is that Obama should never get off scot free, and nor should Biden, because an awful lot of these things happened on his watch as well. I wouldn't have a whole lot of time for him, right? But in the choice between him and Trump, I would pick anything. In the choice between anything and Trump, it would be Biden, right? I wouldn't have had Biden to begin with. People thought, oh, you know, he was the only one who could deliver the med- Midwest, yada yada yada. And now, unfortunately, they've improved, right? I still think that somebody like Elizabeth Warren or indeed Bernie Sanders. I think so many progressive people had had enough of Trump that they would have voted for for Dan Joe Murray, like, you know, just to get rid of him, you know, despite his uh, lack of political experience. Uh, But mind you, he does know a lot about American politics. So the thing about ICE, Merrill, was that it became much more aggressive, right? And uh, the border patrols also became much more aggressive. So people were getting dumped left, right and centre, right? It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter that you had a green card. Nothing mattered. Right. You were just gone. You were piped out of the country as quickly as possible. Right. Especially if you were someone of color. And this is the fascinating thing about the conversation that myself and Anya and Stephanie had was that Anya arrived in Los Angeles last Friday week. Right. She's starting her new life over there. Irish TV producer. Again, another fantastic woman. 
And, you know, it's almost like when we go and we get the right desk, when you go to uh, immigration, doesn't matter if it's in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, if you get a fellow whose name is McCarthy or, you know, or McGrath, or that, it's almost like being welcomed home because they're our people. They look at us, they see white European people, they go, they're, they're our people, right? I was in LA in 2016 or 2017 to make a radio documentary and the lad with me was a Kurd. Right. It was 2017 because it was just after uh, Trump was inaugurated and just before the Muslim ban. Right. His parents were born in Iraq. And if we had arrived two days later, he wouldn't have gone into the country because his parents were born in Iraq. Right. And I've never seen that like the grilling. That we, and like all of a sudden, my whiteness disappeared because I was traveling with this guy. Right. And he was suspicious. And, you know, he's a great guy. Tattoos up, up here, there and everywhere. And. This is the thing. This is how it changes, right? So just by the way you look, by your name, everything can change in an instant. So it didn't matter that I was an O'Connor from Dublin and that there's a million O'Connors registered in Ellis Island. I was with Haider Haidali, whose parents were Kurds from Iraq, and all of a sudden that changed the game. And again, this is what these people have lived with, right? And that intensity. And there was something between Trump actually winning the election. I was in New York when he won the election, and I was in Los Angeles when he was in, uh, just after he was inaugurated, right? But things definitely happened there. And I've seen this happen with Brexit as well, and I've seen it happen with the elections in Sweden, that people are people who agree with Trump and who agree with the Sweden Democrats and who agree with Brexit, they're emboldened immediately by the result, right? And they feel that they can go out on the street and they can say things to people of colour that they were never able to say before. And now we're seeing the reverse of that in the fact that people went out on the street to celebrate uh, Trump's loss in inverted commas because we'll see how this goes right but they went out because they had thrown that yoke off them finally you know and i do i don't think we can underestimate the burden the people felt and there are so many people living without papers in america the undocumented fucking many of them were irish through the years lads i mean yeah, you, yeah. Like, you'll see how many i, hate, I even hate the term uh, undocumented i hate it because you don't call it they're only undocumented because they're white yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And like, I use that in terms of everybody, right? So I use that, that in terms of Hispanic people as well. I will, I never yeah. use the word illegal because no person is illegal, right? So it's just one of those things that I refuse to use. Undocumented is something that, that people can, they can relate to without it being a judgment on the person, right? And this is in the same way, anytime any of us go there, we are, every single one of us, if you want to play the Kevin Bacon game or the six degrees of separation, right? Every single one of us has a relative still to this day living in America undocumented, with no papers, no green card, with no nothing, right? Despite the best efforts. We have preferential treatment as Irish people when it comes to getting green cards at certain periods, and we've had it in the past, and we'll probably have it again. So all of these things coming up to the surface under Trump, and it really was, you know, you had people like Bannon there, who I think has Irish blood in them. Um, you had people who had that sort of Irish-American thing. You had Ted Cruz. You have an awful lot of people who had Hispanic blood in them as well. But they abandoned this thing, and this, you know, American exceptionalism kicked in as well. And it was hugely damaging, lads, because a, for American people, American businesses coming to Europe, but when you take away that sort of special relationship, another fucking expression I hate, it's just, it's so difficult to do anything. I haven't enjoyed going over and back to America for the last four years because um, my wife indeed, we brought our kids over there for a holiday for a few years ago. I'd been there so much and they go, oh, dad, can we see this? And we took all, all the savings and we just went down the West Coast and San Francisco and LA and they were really privileged to get to see this. But they realized as well because I don't hide things from my children. So they saw homeless people in San Francisco and they saw not just the strip part of Las Vegas where all the best hotels are in the Bellagio Fountain, but the places that I would go to eat, you know, the $4 breakfast places where there's basically me and a bunch of homeless guys, but hey, we're on a budget freelance journalism is not as glamorous as you might think it is you know 
<laughs> but they're also the places where you meet the people who are interested, you know. And I remember about 20 years ago being in New York and a guy telling me that uh, New York is where other Americans go to be lonely, you know. And that to try to live in that place without a sense of community because New York is one of those great places that you can get to know people, even as an adult. It's not like, you know, um, when you go, to, you know, like you go to a rugby school and you know those guys for the rest of your life and they help you out and that kind of thing. So, and Mero, you've lived abroad, Dan. I don't know, have you ever emigrated, no? No. No, so, so Mero lived in Australia. But when you walk into a situation it can be very difficult here in Scandinavia. When it came to COVID, I was describing social distancing as a synonym for living in Scandinavia because people over here don't need more friends. They're happy enough with their family and, you know, the five or six people that they went to college with or they played hockey with or they grew up with, right? And they don't need fucking beardy Irish lads, you know, with uh, well-landscaped undercarriages thanks to Manscaped. They, they, <laughs> they, they just don't need that, you know. They might need the Manscaped, they don't need me, right? So it can be difficult to make friends and that's really difficult for, for you know, for people maybe 25, 26 who are used to going in somewhere and sitting down and getting to know somebody in a pub and somebody says, oh, I'll get you a start on a building site or I know a school looking for it. That's just not the way this country works. But America was always like that. But I noticed in, where was I? I was in San Francisco a couple of years ago when Jonas Yerebko, the Swedish basketball player, was going to play his first home game for Golden State Warriors. And where they are, uh, they have, like in the city centre, they have their training facility, right? So all these guys in big cars, these NBA players, they drive in under it every day and then they practice. And Jonas came out and he said, what are you going to do? Like, you know, I was talking to him afterwards. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I'm just going to walk this direction. I said, there's a freeway down here. And anywhere you walk where a freeway is near a city, you'll always find homeless people, right? So I decided to walk down there and just see and talk to these people. And it was amazing what you'd see. And the fear, lads, of them being picked up, the fear of them talking to a white person like me, because I could be an undercover cop or I could be ice and say, you know what? You're going back to Mexico. You're going back to Honduras. You know, the fear of telling me anything about themselves, about how old they were, about how many children they had, if the children were in America with them and people were so closed off and it took so long to get to know people again just to have regular human conversations and that is enormously damaging for any society for me not to be able to say American dream Phil but this this is the thing, Graham, because th- that's what it was to us and that's what it should be. This should be a place where we can all go, where anybody can go and where everybody gets a fair crack at the whip. We all know that's not how it is, right? We all know that people of privilege are always going to come out on top. But there's so many people. I mean, I had cousins who went over to Hollywood in the late 1970s, and the early 80s, and they slept under the stars in California. And they wanted to start in the movie business. And since then, um, one of them, this is the weirdest thing in the world, one of them ended up uh, marrying the girl who was PA to Don Johnson, who was one of the stars of the 1980s Miami Vice, right? And that he got to know her through the film business because they went and they worked hard in bars and restaurants and they got their break in Hollywood and they stayed there for the rest of their lives and they were very happy there. But if you're coming from Honduras now, if you're coming from Mexico, if you're coming from Colombia or from Costa Rica, these places, and you're making that journey, there's a lot of people coming up from Brazil, especially now, a lot of gay people from Brazil just, can't be around there anymore it's bad enough for them before that now bolsonaro you can't be there at all so now you can't even do that because you're going out of the frying pan into the fire you're leaving one country with a far-right leader in brazil say and you're coming into america where you're also not welcome and that's really a problem i mean even if you go back if you look at the history of immigration into america right uh, the Irish went to, uh, obviously, the, the, the major part of that was the famine, right? You had two million died, two million left the country, right? For the Swedes going over there, mo- most of the Swedes who left it from about 1840 to 1860, 1870, they were looking for religious freedom, right? So they would have had, they were all Protestants in this country at that time, but the kind of Protestantism that they wanted to practice, they weren't being allowed to practice over here. Now, you add to that the fact that it's very difficult to farm the land in certain southern parts of the country, and they went to America, and this is what they built, and they prospered on it. And that was the American dream, but that has become it has become changed it's become in some instances crushed and almost impossible for certain people to leave and that's really the thing I mean Obama always used to talk about the audacity of hope and again 
Obama is among my top three political disappointments of all time, right? I despise centrists, right? I des- it's like mid- football midfielders who only ever play passes sideways. Get off the fucking field and let's yeah. try something, right? Wow me, do something, make me sit up and take notice, good or bad. But Phil, is, is, is in, in relation to the US presidency, is it not like, I know everyone says uh, Obama was a disappointment and I can see why, but is it also like, it's very hard as US president to get your to get your policies over the line when say the Senate is full of Republicans or, or the House is full of Republicans. It's a completely different kind of like a, a completely different uh Setup. Yeah, the setup is completely different. But at the same time, what you're looking at, and again, if you look at Michael D. Higgins, the president of Ireland, right, you're looking at a talisman. You're looking at a figurehead, right? And for better or worse, they are the ones who set the agenda. They're they're the North Star that the country is supposed to be following, right? You have it with the Queen in England. People still pay attention to what she says and what she does because they think she has magic blood, right? It's the same thing here in Sweden, you know? Everybody turns it. King Harold in Norway is an amazing one. I can't understand it. The man's 80, 90 years old. But every time he turns up on on the TV, the whole country just instantly feels better right that was like thailand as well the king in thailand yeah. i remember being in thailand the king was uh in hospital um and you want to see him like you yeah. want you want to see bangkok when the king was in hospital and we were on our way home after being 12 months away and we were thinking are we actually going to get out of this country because there was threat that he was going to die and the hotel reception said look guys you know if he dies you aren't going anywhere for at least yeah. two weeks we we're like That's what the, the fuck we've no money left <laughs> get a job in a hotel you could be still there yeah. we could be doing this live from Bangkok lads. that'd be lovely yeah yeah but, but, but that's the thing when you have a figure like that and that that chance was there for Obama right because you kind of have to understand the politics that you're in right anybody who wants to change Ireland is not going to become president right anybody who wants to change Ireland is not going to become Taoiseach or Tarnished either right you're probably not even going to become a minister, right? What you need to do is become head of some department in the civil service because that's where you can enact things. That's where you can exert the most power, right? I am not really a detailed guy when it comes to certain things. I have certain principles that I stick very, very, like I'm very, I, I can't get rid of them, right? There are certain things that I believe that I'm just not ever going to let go, right? So I'm not going to say, vote for me for president, right? But I, I I wouldn't be the kind of person to be able to change things at the granular molecular level. Here's how we should structure our education system to make it perfect and fair and equitable. That's not me. That's not how I work, right? Obama tried to be both. He tried to be the figurehead. He tried to be the first African-American president. And he also tried to get down on the floor with these guys and wrestle them and see if he could get these things through, right? Whereas a lot of the people we just mentioned, the King of Thailand, King Harold of Norway, the Queen of England, and Michael D. Higgins, they're above that debate. So they maintain this moral integrity, right? They're not sullied by politics in the same way that Obama had been, right? And certain people did it really well. Ronald Reagan did it brilliantly because he knew he was an actor and he was a charismatic man who could lead the country, right? And when you think about him he was so much more moderate than an awful lot of the, an awful lot of what the republican party is now but that's the job he did and he did it very very well bill clinton started to lean more toward back towards he was you know an experienced operator from arkansas he thought okay i can play both sides of the fence here and obama was the same you know it's only 10 or 12 years ago let me see what's a 12 we go back say 15 years and Obama had like, you know, one intern and he was, you know, he'd only just got into into politics and he was kind of a nobody. And then he rose like this, but he kind of, he neutered himself in a way by going, okay, I'm cleverer than all the people in this room. That's just maybe, pal, but that's not your gig right now. And that's not going to be Biden's gig either. So Biden will go in and 
if he gets in there, if they get that other fucking apricot fuck with out of the house, right, he'll go in and he'll reverse a couple of things by executive order. But his thing is not to go in and change root and branch, right? The man is what, 78? He'll be on his next birthday? By the time, like, if and when the inauguration takes place, he'll be 78 years old, right? He's not the future of America. His thing is to go in there and steady the ship in the rolling waters that are the aftermath of this four years of a shit show, right? And it's Kamala Harris and it's people like her who are coming in after. It's AOC. It's all these people are coming under and it's whoever the Republican Party put up, right? Because again, these guys are not going quietly into the night. They've had power for four years and they've seen what they could get done by breaking all the rules, right? Now, all they have to do is like get new people in there and just make up new rules that can't be broken that ensure that they have an extended period of power. So with Biden, if he plays the figurehead, if he plays, there's a great expression in the Scandinavian languages, which is basically the country's father, right? If he plays like the parental role in shepherding people through this, that's about all that you can expect of him. The idea that he's going to go in and, you know, reform the healthcare system and no child left behind and all that kind of thing, that's a little bit far-fetched. I mean, the man may not even survive this four years, but that's what they need him to do. And that's what you need all presidents to do. And you need to inspire people as well. This is the last thing on that subject is one of the great things about repeal the eighth in Ireland and the marriage equality referendum and everything that's happening in politics is it has awoken a generation that previously was entirely disinterested in the old civil war politics, right? So it has people coming to the Green Party, worse luck. It has people coming to Sinn Féin. It has people coming to the Social Democrats, a couple of them going back to the Labour Party. But these are people who many years ago would have felt outside of politics because they had tattoos or because they never wore a suit or because they don't give a shit about planning permission down the end of the road, right? But now when these people see what actual real grassroots politics does, right? And in particular around South Dublin, where you guys are there, right? Sinn Féin are extremely strong because they are on the ground sorting out people's problems. Now, that can be on a council level, but it can also be on a community and on a personal level as well. And that is the real force of political change. And that, you know, if you look back over America, you've got to look at the Tea Party movement. You've got to look how they sold the idea of freedom to people and say, okay, this is absolutely sacrosanct. This is what we have to do to ensure our right to bear arms, to ensure that, uh, you know, our lives can continue that we pay low taxes and that the state never interferes in what you want to do with your life and they've been very successful in doing that and now what the democrats really have to do is say to people that look at it wasn't such a bad thing when we had unions it wasn't such a bad thing when we had social welfare when we had state schools that were fit for purpose when children were fed and when we had you know because even like i think unemployment benefit there six weeks provide that safety net for people look to scandinavia look to europe and find a way out of that but the democrats are so poor at doing that and i don't think biden's going to be the man to change it no, I, I, I don't think he is either. I think I think what you're saying there, Phil, is like you're right, and especially look, and and kind of both have kind of touched on this in a roundabout way as well. I think it looks as though the Senate is going back to the Republicans as well, which in a, in a way it neuters Biden a little bit. It doesn't. Well, give there's a runoff in Georgia to decide that. Well, well, this is what I'm saying. So, it, but, but for for all intents and purposes, the, the blue wave, and I'm using air quotes there for for the purpose of, of uh, people listening as opposed to watching, the the blue wave didn't come, as people had hoped. Part of it, some people would believe, or I'd probably lean towards this train of thought myself, is that socialism in America is something that's feared. If you go back 20, 30 years, well, more than yeah, 30 years, 40 years even, you know, the fear of communism was massive. Reds under the beds was a real thing, and all that mm, kind of Cartism, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I think th- there is. That's what they think it is now, Danny. They think I was going to say so. That's under when, the beds. When when you see that, when you see people, and I I really like AOC. I I hope to Jesus she stays the course because she she may be 
the, the future in terms mm-hmm. of the Democratic Party. And I hope the Democrats do start to lean that way because there's a lot of ground that we can made up, but it's not for the today. Mm-hmm. It's the, the fear of socialism is there. But I think when you look at the Senate and when you look at that, and Phil, you touched on it earlier on, I think the Republicans see that. You mentioned the word gerrymandering earlier on. Mm-hmm. I think the Republicans recognise this. And like you were saying, to go back to your point around, you know, fucking buffuck in Oklahoma, you know, 14 people living there, but that state has, if you look at it per capita, more power in a single person's vote than the people of California, because when you break down the college of electoral votes and all that kind of crack, per head, it works out better for both Oklahoma. So They all get two senators, Dan. So Wyoming, 600,000 people, two senators. California, 40 million, two senators. Two senators, exactly, exactly, right? So like, when you when you start to look at all that kind of stuff, the, the, the Republican Party are looking at that, and they've played the game very fucking well in the sense the Democrats never looked at the Supreme Court as being the ball they need to kick. The Republicans looked at it as the ball they need to grab a hold of and fucking keep, and they were playing possession football with that. Then you look at gerrymandering, and not to fucking be, not to talk down to anybody or anything like that, but just in case, because it is something that I didn't know what it was until recently enough as well. Gerrymandering is essentially where you look at the borderlines of each area and you say, how can we redraw them to benefit us, essentially? I, I think that's a fairly... Yeah. Bro, like so, it's, so, yeah, so basically, every electoral it. district, if you, if you have the county of Dublin, for instance, right, and everybody in Ballybrack votes for Sinn Féin, right, what you might want to do, and then, you know, what, what name a neighbouring parish to Ballybrack to be quite close by and quite well to do? Cabin Tealy. Cabin Tealy, right? So what you do is you take half a Ballybrack and you put it into Cabin Tealy, and thereby you've watered down the Sinn Féin voter, the left-wing vote there, and you put in maybe a whole lot more right-wing voters, and all of a sudden, but what used to be Ballybrack is now Ballybrack Cabin Tealy, and it's never going to elect a left-wing politician again. So that's what gerrymandering is, and it's a really sort of underhand sort of a thing, and it comes from the problem with politics, lads, and the problem with democracy, as so as it's practiced now, as one man or one woman, one vote, is it's a numbers the game. The problem with capitalism, Phil. Well, no, but this is the, the, the problem with the whole thing about voting is that it does come down to numbers, right? So I remember um, I was asked a few years ago when the European elections were coming around, I was approached by somebody in the Social Democrats and they said, would you consider standing in the European elections for the Social Democrats, right? And I said, yes. And Gary Gannon, who's now a TD, uh, the, the two of us were selected and we had a selection convention, right? And literally, somebody outside the party called me up and they said, it's very, very simple. What you need now is you need half the votes in that room at that convention plus one. And they said, everything else you do is fucking pointless. You can be as fantastic as you like on Twitter and on Facebook and you can go on Eamon Duffy's podcast as much as you like. But unless you get half the votes plus one, it doesn't mean shit, right? And so much of our politics, that's what leads to this situation where it's no it's no mistake, lads, that America has two parties and one gets 70, 75 million, the other gets 70 million votes, right? Because that's where we're fighting everything. We're fighting everything in the middle ground. And we're doing the same thing in Ireland for so long. that We have two right-wing parties that you couldn't get a cigarette paper between them, right? Because that's where they believe the votes to be. Now, if you zoom out a little bit from that uh, and you offer people a vision of something different, and that's what AOC does, right? Socialism is a dirty word and communism is an even dirtier word in America. So when you were saying there, Dan, that you expected Florida to tip in favor, uh, it could have tipped in favor of Biden and you're entirely right there, right? But what they did was they started to get an awful lot of Cuban-American voters, right? People who come from Cuba, become American citizens. Yeah, and told them, basically, if you vote for Biden, you're voting for communism. And I know people who've been called up by relatives and said, I just saved you from communism because I voted for Trump. You know, the young people are going, are you fucking out of your mind here, right? Yeah, but the, yeah, the Cuban-American is, vote was 60-40. And Trump, Trump went to Miami Day the week before the vote and told them all, look, you're going to, like what Danny was saying, red under the bed, shite. Yeah. 
and, and they just saying that to the voters and then they voted 60 40 yeah, that's why he didn't get Florida. And at the same time, Trump was saying, "Oh, you know, to to basically white middle class housewives going, I keep your area safe." Like so, they, they were absolutely consciously doing all these things. But the this, the other thing is that they have absolutely no understanding of what socialism is, right? And there's a certain cognitive dissonance that goes on here when you talk about freedom and you talk about that, like. A friend of mine would have been very libertarian, a guy I know in Las Vegas, um, and then he got really sick, right? So, like, nearly died, and his medical bills are out the fucking door, right? And now, an adult man in his 60s, and he's living with his son, and he has no money, he has nothing left whatsoever, his wife has left him, and he's gone... Where the fuck did this go wrong? The other thing is that insurance is essentially socialism anyway, because we're spreading the risk of all these things, you know? But Phil, how, how do you get that message across then when you have a, a, a cesspit of a man like Trump who's pontificating lawyers and lawyers, um, and he can still garner such support? How would someone like AOC in the next five to 10 years um, turn socialism into a clean word? Everything comes down to community, right? I wouldn't use the word socialism in the same way that, uh, you know, Trump wouldn't use the word racism or he wouldn't talk down to white supremacy. I would make absolutely everything about community. And this is one of those things that resonates. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, where Mike Tyson grew up in Brooklyn or whether it's out in the middle of nowhere in Reno, Nevada, right? American people are great when it comes to do with community. They're actually really, really generous people. You know, there's no way that you could knock on a door and nobody would give you a glass of water, right? It's just not like that. There, I'd say if I did it here in Sweden, half the doors, they wouldn't open them because they'd be wondering who this fucker is, right? But there's a huge generosity of spirit there. And the frontier spirit that the country was built on, lads, when they were moving from east to west, it was essentially people helping one another. It was sharing what you had in bad weather, in bad times, in looking after one another. And if you can appeal to that sense of community and you can appeal to that, uh, that whole idea that we're not alone in this, right? My freedom or me wanting to do something doesn't impinge on your freedom. And that's what true freedom is, right? What I would love for the two of you is that you have the opportunity and that you have the means to go and be the best men that you can be, the best friends, the best family members, sons and fathers, whatever you want to do with your life, the best wheelchair basketball player, whatever it happens to be, that you have the chance to go and do that, right? And if that I can... all starts with Manscaped, then they're patented titanium blade and you're going I, look, to I, I think they're actually the finishing touches Dan right so when oh, you get to okay. the top three, there's nothing left you got, you got to just prune what you got right <laughs> but if you can do that if you can say, because they're essentially the springboards to it right when I talked about Stephanie my friend earlier on right that was what happened to her without community, right, without the fact that people are willing to go in and say, this girl needs to go to college, we need to fix her with a scholarship, because otherwise she's just going to wind up dead in a fucking dumpster somewhere. And I'm so grateful to people who did that for her and who recognised her talent. But I want to see that for every child in America, and I want to see that for every child in Ireland. That's and that can, but it can, really it can only come from community. And that's what they need to be doing. The Democrats um, this year, one of the big things... about Ireland Biden, as well, then. Again, is this not where we always end our conversations, lads? It's always coming back to this thing, right? You and I and Dan, I I never see myself, unless I go over the white line on a football pitch or you know something, I'm not competing with anybody else, right? I'm not competing with P.T. Carroll. P.T. Carroll is my friend. I want P.T. Carroll to be the best fucking journalist that he can be, and he's an extremely good one, right? I want him to be as happy as he can be and as wealthy and as healthy as he can be, right? And there are very few people in the world that I don't want that for, 
Right? One of them is Donald Trump. But for the most part, that's all I want to see for anybody is that they get the absolute best they can possibly get out of their three score and ten. And if I have it, if I have the resources to contribute to some way helping that, right? If I can give you a number to somebody you want to speak to, and I know you do the same for me, Graham, right? But that's what these things are about. The idea that we're in competition for all these things. We don't live in a world of scarce resources. We live in a world of abundance, right? And there is nothing that I can give you that I will no longer have. And I'm, what I mean by that, Graham, is that if I say something nice to you, if I encourage you, it doesn't cost me anything. If I support you, if I support Dan, if he says to me, look, can I have a reference? I go for a new job. What does that cost me? Other than a couple of minutes out of my day. I am not the poorer for you being successful. And in the, the idea of community, that's exactly what the idea of community is, is that all the things we do together make us all richer. And if the Democrats can find it, because that's where they started from back after the end of the Civil War, because let's remember that the Democrats were actually against the abolition of slavery. That's when the Civil War happened. But in the 1900s, and especially in the, the post-depression period, that's where the Democrats came from. When the country had nothing, they built it up, FDR's New Deal. All those things came out of that thinking. And it's not only in America we need to get back to that. We need to get back to that on a sort of a macro level in Ireland and in Russia and in Australia and in Sweden, but on a local level in Ballybracken and Shista here in Stockholm. And it all begins with us. Because we can't go around the place saying this is Joe Biden's fault or this is Donald Trump's fault. You have to ask yourself, what am I doing to make this a reality? Absolutely. Phil, before we let you go, I just want to ask you, you earlier you said that Trump, um, he basically uh, just wants to get in front of the Supreme Court. Um, how will he get in front of the Supreme Court when he doesn't have evidence of voter fraud in the first place? We see what he needs is a judgment. Actually, he doesn't need any evidence whatsoever, right? What he needs is a flawed judgment, so that he can over, like that he can um, appeal a legal judgment. He's saying, okay, the reasoning of this legal judgment is flawed because, right? It doesn't matter that the point that they're bringing before the Supreme Court doesn't matter that the case had no evidence whatsoever. Just as long as he can say that this principle, this legal principle, wasn't considered properly by this court. Right. And if he puts that then before the Supreme Court, when you go to the Supreme Court, what you're essentially looking for all the time is clarification that the law has been correctly interpreted. Right. Um, Barrett has said. Well, that this, she's so pretty, this actually isn't over then. No, no, this is not over by a long shot, lads. Right. So th what, what they're doing, what yeah. they're doing is they're throwing enough legal shit at the wall and hoping that someone will spatter onto the Supreme Court door. Right. So if they can find anything and they don't need the number of votes, people are going, oh, it's 40,000 votes. None of that matters. All they need is one argument that they can take before the Supreme Court and say, we want all votes uh, counted after the, the 3rd of November stopped. That's all they need. One argument that they can go to the Supreme Court with that. And then it's a shot in dark, right? It's a million to one shot. But if he gets that in front of the Supreme Court, having stacked the bench, what's to say that that's not going to happen? You know, that, Because they're his people sitting there. They're people who agree with him. That's exactly why they're there. And that's the risk. And that has always been the risk. Trump was never going to win the popular vote. He was never going to win this election because, you know, he didn't really show the interest in campaign for it either. The only way he was going to do this was quick and dirty. And this is what it comes down to now. If he can get that through, and his whole thing, by, by questioning everything before he even went to the polls, before anything was even declared, for a year he's been talking about, oh, mail-in ballots, wait, you see the, the fraud that's going to be perpetuated here. He's been setting things up for this. And that all then pays in to, to this possibility. Now, what I've seen, and I was watching all of election day because I knew that this was going to happen. And I was watching the reports coming in most of them were never published about what legal cases they were taking because they were so weak right and there's no but again all they need is one all they need is that silver bullet they can have as much patient as they like right but if they get that silver bullet then that could change everything Sani what do you think is going to happen I, look I, I just ruined know. daddy's night he's not going to sleep for weeks now that's it I'm <laughs> done like I'm absolutely I like I don't know enough about uh, uh, like I know 
a little bit about the American system and a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. And I really, really believe that. And I think if I'm looking at it and I'm trying to, I'm trying to take from different sources to hear as much as I can to try and form an opinion on it. But the problem is they don't know either. So Phil has succinctly put it in a way that would, it would, it would worry me, shall we say. But then I listened to, you know, like, people who were involved, like earlier on, Phil, you mentioned uh, Bush v. Gore for the 2000 election. And you listen to some of the people who were involved in that court case and the fact that back then, the Democrats essentially went to a gunfight with a knife. And when they got there, they realised, oh, fuck. And as Phil said, Al Gore stepped away because he realised democracy is going to fucking lose here. I'm going to fucking lose here. Fuck this. Those guys are saying that Trump is using, as as Phil said, they're just fucking spaghetti at the wall and hoping it sticks. But all he needs is one meatball to stick. Which, which, fine, but what are the chances of it happening? What are the chances of it? He's concentrating so much on Pennsylvania, and really the crux of it is going to be Pennsylvania for him. Arizona and Kyle wouldn't be enough for him to take the election, so he has to go back to the Rust Belt. He has to go up to the Midwest Joe Biden's whole thing was he was the one that would take those back for the Democrats. I don't think the Democrats are sitting idly by and they're going to roll over on that and they're going to again turn up to a gunfight with a knife. Let, let think, me pause it. Let me pause it yeah. there, Daddy. Right? Okay. We go back. It's 2014. We just had the World Cup in Russia. It's been magnificent. The election is just about to take place. Uh, two years down the line. So we're two, we're two years into Obama's last term. If I said to you then that Donald Trump was going to be president of America in two years' time, what would you have said? You're off your rocker. There you go, right? So we're already through the fucking looking glass here, right? The the impossible has already (laughs) happened and it has continued to happen, right? And the other thing I'd say about the Supreme Court is, what do, if I say the words Roe versus Wade to you, what does that mean? That's the abortion one, isn't it? It's one case. It's one case, and all abortion law in America currently hangs on that case, and it's one of the most controversial things that ever. It's one case that was taken before the Supreme Court, right? And Trump versus Pennsylvania could be the next one of those things, and that could be the end of postal voting, right? This, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying that you're dealing with people here who never had any intention of winning the election because they can steal it, right? Mm. And this is the problem. And the idea then, what you're also forgetting there, Dan, is you mentioned the Democrats bringing a knife to a gunfight. It doesn't matter what they bring because they're no longer in the fight. They're already. Well, they're, they're basically going down a dark alley where Tr- Trump and his judges are going to beat the living lard, and there's nothing they can do about it because you've bypassed all those things, right? The, the court of public opinion gone. You know, the idea that we could somehow do this in a marketplace of ideas that's gone as well. This is winning by default. This is cheating. This is John Delaney being the thirty-third country to World Cup, right? This is all being decided in the back rooms. It's not being decided in the ballot boxes at all. And that's the thing I'm worried about. And that's the true threat to democracy here. When you get people manipulating and changing and instilling a climate of fear just so that they can do these things and steal it from under the noses of people that's the danger and i don't think people have realized that just yet how close these things can be because essentially without roe versus wade there is no abortion in america and if that is ever repealed or overturned it's gone again and it happened well in that's uh, that, that's what they're hoping to do that's why yeah. one of the big reasons amy comey barrett was put in to, to overturn and such decisions yeah. and for, for over 30 the, the, years the, the headline there on the on the on cnn it says trump meets sorry what is it Trump meets with advisors to discuss path forward. As some say privately, there's almost no chance legal challenges will succeed. 
Okay, hang on a second, right? Some say privately. This kind of thing, right? What, what we're doing is, this is what I call the reporting of wishful thinking, right? This is like when I go to see Ireland playing in a playoff uh, against whoever, right? And I like at that time when they played against Spain, a few, well, no, it was Holland a few years ago in Anfield, a good few years ago in Anfield, right? In my heart of hearts, I know that there's no way we're going to come out of that match with a victory, but I want to believe. So I write the preview and I'm on the radio on Game On an hour before, going, yeah, I definitely think the Ireland have a chance of winning this here. And, and yet, like, I'll talk up all the points that make it look like what I want to happen is going to happen, right? That's what we're seeing with CNN now. As I said, we need to stop asking these questions about, you know, oh, you know, uh, when, when is the transition going to take place? It's like, we need to start assuming that a transition is not going to take place until somebody deals with this guy and his team, right? So you're so, you're, you're telling us what, like, worst case scenario, what, what do you think will happen? Um... It's, you know, I know it's kind of like, oh, Jesus, in 2014, we never would have thought Trump was going yeah, to be president. I, look I, at the show he's done now. But what, what does your gut feeling say will happen? My gut feeling at the moment says that he will make an attempt uh, to keep the, the, the White House by violence, right? And that won't last. Or by, you know, an exertion of power, declaring martial law, that kind of thing, right? So, something in me says that if he doesn't get it before the Supreme Court, that's the last tool available to him. And he's not the kind of guy to quit, right? He's going to use up all his options before he walks away, right? And that's what I see happening. I would see a declaration of martial law. And the only way that you get around that, you know, I, I think it's a distinct possibility. And that the generals just say, man, you're fucking, you're screwed in the head. Get out of here, right? But this is why he's stacking the Pentagon. This is why he's putting in a defense secretary who agrees with him. Because the last guy had to go because he didn't agree with putting American soldiers on, uh, troops on the streets over there, right? So that's what he's going to try to do. I hope he doesn't try to do that. I hope that somebody around him tries to convince him. But, you know, again, we're not dealing with a normal person. We're not dealing with somebody who can be convinced of these things. So I do think that he's going to go, you know, he's going to see this out to the bitter end no matter what happens. Because he stands to lose an awful lot as well. Like, if he doesn't have immunity, essentially immunity from prosecution, there's so many court cases waiting on him. When he walks out the door on whatever, the 21st of January, he's going to be hit by these... 300 million in loans from Deutsche Bank and this kind of thing and he does have, he has no protection anymore from anything if he has to walk away so I do think that with that much skin in the game he's going to go for it Are we looking at a case where the Republicans have gone or at least the vast majority of Republicans have gone too far down the garden path now like Newt Greenwich was always going to be a fucking waster anyway but you've now got uh, Senator Leader uh, Mitch McConnell yeah. who has come out and basically told the Trump line, I'm not going to say the party line, but I'm going to say the Trump line. Yeah. Have the Republicans essentially lost their party? Is the GOP now the GOT? It's gone because like, you know, years ago when the Tea Party started and we laughed at them and we laughed at, uh, what was her woman's name? Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. Yeah, kind of yeah, Sarah Palin. She ran yeah. with McCain, didn't she? Yeah, and, and, and all of it, but they didn't get that right. And this is often what happens with right-wing movements, with extreme far-right movements, right? Hitler was one of the few guys who actually came up with the thing and managed to see it through himself. The guys who started the Sweden Democrats here, they were a total fucking disaster, right? Skinheads, bomber jackets, some fellow who'd been in the SS in the Second World War, right? They had to move them aside because they weren't acceptable. And what they actually found was the opposite. They found with Trump, a reality TV star willing to say these things, that all of a sudden they had a figurehead that everybody would unite behind. So what used to be called the Tea Party is now this extreme end of republicanism. And it has really taken away. And if you look at Ronald Reagan's politics, Ronald Reagan wasn't really the most racist and certainly not the most overtly racist president. Some of his things, he didn't mind people paying tax as long as they got something for it. His thing was, you know, oversight of the government, small government preferably. In this, case. But he would have been quite the moderate compared to what Trump is. But that but that Republican Party no longer exists anymore. And whether it can ever exist again or whether they've gone down this far-right rabbit hole and that's where they're going to stay. Because 
you know, it's kind of like being caught in bed with another woman, lads. Sometimes you just have to keep doubling down because, you know, there's no going back now. You've told one lie and the lies just keep getting bigger and bigger. And that's the real thing. If, again, what they probably need is an Obama figure. They probably need somebody to come in and say, mea culpa, we did this wrong. We're sorry for foisting this on you. You know, so, here's how we win back trust. So that's, And that's what I was going to say. So let, let's, let, let's go to the extreme example where you, you've said it yourself. Essentially, uh, the, the, the Trump's pursuit of a court avenue doesn't happen and he goes right that's it border up the windows pull down the shutters boys we ain't leaving Mm. and then you get a situation where those republicans who have been backing him are either barricading themselves in with him or they need to find an exit route they're looking and they're saying okay fuck the grand old party is going to drown and i'm going to go down with it here Mm. how how do we how do we get to a point in where hope prevails so to speak I think the problem there, Dan, is that again, this is the the you know the the wishful thinking again, right? I think that there's a, a certain process here that has to be gone through. And again, you know, not to go back to the Second World War or whatever, but that had a logical course. It had to be beaten. It wasn't going to stop by itself. It wasn't going to say, oh, hold on a second, the Holocaust is wrong. We're going to stop doing that now. I think we're in that situation now where this this has to be soundly beaten. It has to be thrashed. You know, if it has to be militarily fine, if it has to be politically fine, right? But and again, I don't want to I don't want to be Cassandra now saying this, but there's so many people with so many guns in America. There's so many people who believe in this that what i'm saying it's not only is it possible but when you think of the constitution and the second amendment actually expressly says that this is what gun ownership is for okay so if you see biden as being illegitimate this is your moment lads get your fucking camo shorts on for the ufc there and get cracking this is what it's all about you know so what the the way back from that really it's like it really is the destruction of that wing of the party it is everybody and again that's what i said ideally what needs to happen on a political level for both parties now is a reckoning with what Trumpism has been with with the white supremacy, with the racism, with the, the systemic abuse of, of people, but like locking up children, separating them from their parents and this kind of like all those things. There has to be a reckoning for all those things. Because if you don't do that, right? One of the reasons that uh, Germany is one of the better places in the world now when it comes to education about the Holocaust is because that reckoning happened, right? Because it's now illegal to question the Holocaust in Germany because it's happened. And you're never getting away from the fact that it's happened. And the people, despite the fact that people born now had nothing to do with you have to live with that as part of your national package going forward. And essentially the same thing needs to happen. The only question really about America is how much further down this road of destruction you have to go before we pull back and say, look, at you know, that's the end of that. We can't be doing this anymore. We cannot destroy ourselves any more than what we've already done. For me, that point is now. I would love to see them say, Trump, get the fuck out of here. Even Mitch McConnell, because there are powerful people around Trump now. But I do think that it's gone too far. I think there was that old quote, I can't remember who it said, is all the evil requires to prosper is for good men to do nothing. And there's so many, many people, there's one of these great things, um, when you do, I, I've done a lot of hostile environment training, so I can report from riots and war zones and this kind of thing. And one of the things that you learn, lads, is that when it comes to a riot, if you're covering a riot, the, the riot is actually steered and controlled by very few people actively. Right? Very few people decide when the stones get thrown, when the petrol bombs get thrown, right? But it only happens with the tacit support of the majority. Right. And the tacit support means not they're going, yeah, fuck, yeah, yeah, throw that Molotov cocktail. Right. It's not that. It's people standing around and they give their their protection to this. They say, okay, this is all right. And as soon as that's gone, the right's over. There's no more right because nobody's going to stick around and throw Molotov cocktails if like there's nobody protecting you from the police dogs. And I've, I've covered so many riots. I've covered language protests in Ukraine. I've covered riots here in Stockholm. I've covered football hooligans. And as long as the majority acquiesces and protects you, you're fine. But as soon as that's gone, you're finished. And it's the same thing for Trump now. If everybody was to just walk away and leave him, as Vincent Brown famously said, with the whiskey and the shotgun in the study there, right, then it's over. <laughs> 
but but they have to find the moral courage to be able to do that and as yet they don't because they they fear this reckoning if this reckoning comes they all go down with them yeah I do, well i know you were going to say Mar, but hang on because phil i'm very sorry but i do want five more minutes of your time that's so always done I'm look. I, you've 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 given me a lot of food for thought there, and while I am still going to choose to go with the the fabled line of hope and history rhyming and and all that kind of crack, I, I'm 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 trying to be optimistic on it, and I do believe everything's going to be all right. To to just very quickly move on to and 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 again, I'm conscious we've had up a lot of time here. Is there good news then? to change gear altogether in the news of a vaccine this week or are we all getting ahead of ourselves um, I think we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves right but I do think that it's coming because there's so many people working on it I mean I know people working in Sweden here at the Karolinska Institute and they were saying like drop everything this is back in March they were telling me they were told drop everything just find antibody treatments find something for this so I do think that there's something in it we need to understand that Pfizer's press release is a very limited selection it's 94 people and 90% of that that's still really good right but we're talking at scale we're talking about you know 5-6 billion people need to be able to take this thing and this thing to work so I do think it's coming down the line but Dan I, I, I would agree with that the reason reason Heaney wrote those lines about hope and history rhyming is because it happens so seldom, right? And yet those moments are the greatest moments in our history. They're the moments when you open the gates of Auschwitz and you put an end to evil. They're the moments when wars stop. They're the, the, the New Year's days when we can wake up with the fireworks having been fired off and we have that sense of hope and that anything is possible again. And that is the last thing that leaves us. And that is that sense of community again, this thing of what we can achieve together. And the great benefit, the great bonus of four years of Trump has actually been the rise of people like AOC, as I mentioned in Ireland with Repeal the Eighth. These people who never were political before, but they see this and they go, that's wrong and I can't allow it to happen. And when you energise all those people, there may be bad days ahead, but better days are definitely coming because this nothing lasts forever. This kind of evil, this kind of one-upmanship, this kind of profiteering, it can't last forever because people are just not going to accept it. At the end of the day, they're going to put their foot down for decency and that is going to happen. I hope it happens by the end end of January. If it doesn't, I hope it's by the end of June and in the same way with a vaccine because if we give up hope on these things, lads, we have nothing left and I, for one, am never prepared to do that. But the thing, the thing about it was when the news broke as well, um, it kind of, I was so happy. I'm, 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 I'm okay in my head, but I'm struggling this lockdown more so than I was last lockdown because I think it's the winter, and mm. I think it's you know we've got a dog now, and, and I was loving bringing him out at half five in the evening, but it's pitch black and it's pissing rain. And, you know, it's harder just to, to, to walk the dog. Just little things like that, because that's all you have when everything's shut and, and society is shut down. So when I heard the news yesterday, I was over the moon. And it wasn't that I was blocking out the negativity, so to speak, but it was just that whether you said there, Phil, whether it's here in January or whether it's here in June, as some of the dates, you know, Fauci said today in, in America, he, he thinks it could be here by December. You know, at least in my head yesterday, that gave me um, light at the end of the tunnel that I didn't have. I haven't had light at the end of the tunnel um, since March of this year. You know, it was like we're going. And then even when this lockdown uh, in Ireland was announced, level five, it was like, uh, are we just going to be hopping in and out of lockdowns, you know? And I was thinking, actually, I don't care if we're hopping out of lockdowns if this vaccine is coming yeah. June at the latest, you know? Yeah. At least there's light at the end of the tunnel. 
So that that that's that's exactly where I come from in that. Phil, what do you think about um in both subjects that we spoke about, the US election and uh, the vaccine, how do we stop conspiracy theorists? That's one of those extremely difficult things, lads, because essentially what we're talking about, if you look at the American election and you look at COVID-19, right, the two things that we're not dealing with here is facts. We're not dealing with facts at all. We're dealing with feelings, right? Nobody yeah. will ever remember anything that you said. I think it was Maya Angelou who said this. Nobody will ever remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Right. And this is the thing that there's only certain things like we mentioned Roe versus Wade, certain information sticks out there for us. Right. But it's always those people. Obama was one of those people who gave us hope when he was elected. Doesn't matter point us, but for a little while we had hope there. Right. Paul McGrath does it. Tom Humphreys, the journalist, once wrote about Paul McGrath, that everybody in Ireland would pay an extra penny in the pound in tax just to make Paul McGrath happy because of all the joy that he's given us. Right. And all of those things. The, 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 the root of everything, the root of all the difficulty that we have really comes from fear, right? And there's an awful lot of fearful people in our populations. And it's not surprising, lads, because they're being told the whole time that they should be fearful. They're being told that they should be afraid of foreigners. They're being told that they should be afraid of COVID. They're being told that they should be afraid of Trump and all these things. And what we need to do, and again, it comes back to that word community, right? I try for the most part with people who are close to me, I try to talk to them about their fears and I try to reassure them. Now, the problem is that you can't convince somebody to get rid of fear, right? Because fear is not a rational thing. It's not based on logic. It's based on gut feeling. I have to go to the dentist tomorrow morning. I fucking hate the dentist, right? And there's nothing Danny Murray can say with his lovely white choppers and a shaved undercarriage now can tell me that's going to make me want to go there, right? But what he can do is he can say, look, it's okay to be afraid, but together we're going to make these things better, right? The yeah. vaccine thing, you got to go with them with the facts and say, look, at, and often you're appealing to people's better nature, right? So I find rather than try to convince you, Graham, because you don't want to take a vaccine, because maybe you've taken some medicine uh, that has disagreed with you in the past or, or something like that, I said, okay, for the most part, for the greater good, because there's always going to be exceptions. It's going to be in cases where it doesn't work and we might lose a loved one who we thought was going to be protected by. These things are going to happen, but for the greater are good we've got to go through them we've got to do them we've got to do certain things and that's the thing again if we can appeal to people to take their sense of it because it was amazing there that discussion around mental health i put out a tweet a little while ago because mental health became a synonym for capitalism there for a while because oh you know open the gyms mental health um open the pubs mental health i should be allowed to beat my wife because mental health you know like it was being used as an excuse to everything and i was saying okay give me the name of one person you would sacrifice to covid uh, just for all these things and a lot of people did that thing well i would do it that's fucking great you're exactly the kind of person we would we would want to put your family or put your, yourself below your family put your family ahead of yourself now if we can all do that then i think we're going to be okay if we can and again kind of like voting there's a critical mass that you have to have with antibodies or with a vaccine in order for it to protect everybody this herd immunity that everybody talks about and we kind of need herd immunity not just from covid but from stupidity and from conspiracy theories and from this lack of a sense of community as soon as you start to think you're isolated and you think you're alone that really is a sad thing to happen because then, you know, your sense of self-preservation kicks in. You start to think that nobody cares about it. And that's a dark, dark road to go down. I was talking to Brian Gartland, who plays for Dundalk there recently, because the day after they lost their first Europa League game to Mulde, he was calling fans who are having a hard time, uh, mostly pensioners, you know, retired people who can't get out of their homes because of COVID. And it's such a magical thing. And now I know the players from Rovers, Jack Bourne was doing it and Stephen Bradley was doing it. Like, Stephen Bradley the, rang me, yes, Phil. Oh, I, I, I got him to do that as a practical joke. You, you, <laughs> but, but yeah, so you have these things. You have people around who care about you, and I think that's brilliant, again, though, because it, I, like I, as I said, I'm okay. But like when Stephen Bradley called me, that, that that I got a lift there that I didn't 
yeah. think I need it. And then yeah. it was like, geez, am I actually okay? Like, why was I buzzing? Because he called me. Do you know what I mean? But but this is the thing. And like, I know he's somebody from Shamrock Rovers and he's somebody you, re- you respect, you love him as a player and a manager and that kind of thing. But all of these things, again, I go back to that thing of it doesn't actually cost Stephen a whole lot other than a couple of minutes out of his day. You know, yeah. now, you must have, I'd say you probably fucking wrecked his head, like, you know, talking about what they're, who they're going <laughs> to sign for next year. But these small acts of kindness are what make us as as a as, like as a species. These are the things that we can do that animals can't do. I have two rabbits out the back here, right? And if I go out there, I go out there and I give them orange peels and bits of lemon, uh, melon rinds and this kind of thing because they love that kind of thing. But I've noticed that there's a girl bunny and there's a boy bunny. Now she bullies the fuck out of him. But when there's food, if I drop that into the cage, right, she goes up. And she sort of noses him, and then the two of them go down and eat it, right? And that's the simplest way I can tell you, right? She's willing to share that with him. She's willing to tell him, come on, there's good stuff down here, right? And if I can call you, Graham, or if I can call you, Danny, if I can send you a text, if I can reply to a message you sent to me, if I can do anything, and if we can do these things for each other, right? And rather than sitting and saying, you know, I mean, I have to call my own father. I haven't spoken to him for two weeks, right? And I need to call him because he's in the same position. He's locked in, and he, he's mad to talk about how bad the Dublin hurlers are, I'm sure, right? But, like, so we need to do do those things for each other and not for it to be okay i'm going to call two people today and that's it but just do them when they come up like a natural thing for Stephen to call you for jack Byrne to call you or you know to go and find those things that we can do to contribute to that sense of community because once you do that all these things are exponential because you just said yourself graham i didn't know that i needed that lift you know and what you're saying to me there is i didn't know i needed somebody to do something nice for me of course you felt better when somebody does something nice for you and you feel seen and you feel that they've they've you know give you some sort of positive confirmation that, that you're a great American, you're a great bloke, you're the kind of person that people like to talk to and they like to spend time with, they like to do things with. Every fucker needs to hear that, even me. And I'm the one who does most of the talking anyway. But we all need that at certain times, lads. The people come to you and they say, and you two guys are always really nice to me when it comes to being on the podcast or on social media or that kind of thing, you know. But we all need to know that we have dignity and that we have value as human beings. And the only place that we can get that, it can't come from me. I can sit here telling myself how fucking great I am all night if I want to. And the only thing that will happen is I'll turn into the Irish Donald Trump, right? But if I have you, if I have people that I respect and people that I listen to, and if you come to me, Graham, and you do it from a position of, from a place of love. If you come to me and you say, Phil, I think you're being too hard on this person on Twitter, or I think you need to look at, you know, the, uh, the, the way you're training too much, or you're eating too much, or doing these things, whatever it happens to be, right? If you do that from a place of love, that helps me. And this is looping back to the conspiracy theories, lads. There's a friend of mine now who's uh, moved back to Ireland, and I see him, I know he's suffering. I know he's suffering from loneliness, and he's going down this rabbit hole now, and he's sending me YouTube links, and I'm trying to talk to him, and I'm trying to tell him, look, this is not the way to go, right? This, this is, I know you get that sort of emotional visceral reaction that you think you need right now but this is like empty calories right this is like you know when you eat the prawn crackers when you go to the chinese and then you go i wish i didn't have them because they didn't fill me up anyway right this is what he's getting off youtube and that kind of thing but if you get the real nourishment from the love of friends and family and from that positive attention and those positive interactions you can have with people that's worth all the psychological prawn crackers and conspiracy theories in the world so if you have that chance now after listening to this podcast or when we're done here take this fucking time and just go and send a text to somebody you haven't spoken to in a while and say man I was thinking about you this evening or, you know, to whatever girl you haven't talked to, I was thinking about you this evening. I hope all is well with you. And in doing that then, that starts that little, that's the flapping of the butterfly's wings that might make somebody else's life change just that little bit for the better. A fucking man, Philip. A fucking man. Good way to end the Phil. Thanks so much for your time as always. Absolutely, yeah. Philip O'Connor on Twitter and check out Airman and Stockholm.com. Philip, you're, you're always an absolute fucking pleasure to speak to. And although you let us down, you know, nearly an hour of 
fucking worry and fear. You redeemed it in the last 10 minutes by giving me this fucking buzz of, yeah, we need to text one of your mates later on. There oh, you man, go there. Little, yeah. Good man, but, Phil. I, I, I'll compare it to a Hollywood film, right? You know, because as I said, the good guys always win in the end, right? So I had to put you through all the misery first just to give you the payoff there, Dad. That's, <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, That's yeah. it. That's it. It's like Hulk Hogan um, versus Earthquake in 1991 when Earthquake was battering him and then Hulk Hogan came back and gave him the leg drop on the one, two, three. That's pretty, but that's pretty much who I am. I'm the, the Hulk Hogan of Irish journalism. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, where can people listen to this now? They can listen to us on all our podcast providers, Graham, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever they want. They just need to search WTS Pod, or of course, they can go to WTSPod.com and they'll get all 218 episodes that preceded this wonderful 219th edition of What's the Story podcast. Most importantly, though, Graham, they need to do that when they're clean and fresh. So, first, they should go to manscaped.com, pop in WTS Pod to get 20% of free shipping off. And make sure your dangly bits don't look like an well, Rastafarian. That's twenty percent off the price, right? It's a hundred percent off the undercarriage, twenty percent off the price, right? We just got it in one, one Phil. We got it in one. <laughs> undercarriage, what a word that used to be used that's a lot it. in the nineties. Let's bring 20 percent off is not a euphemism for a circumcision here. That's yeah, nicely <laughs> pointed out, Phil. Uh, but yeah, that is it. Philip O'Connor, thank you once again, and Graham O'Merrigan. Until next week, my friend. Clear eyes. Ball hearts. At Leo's Shamrock Rovers Champion. Oh, stop.